Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. While we're denouncing, let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not true so and disavow QAnon yeah. in its entirety? I know nothing about QAnon. I just told I you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I hate to say that. I know nothing about it. I do know they are very much against uh, pedophilia. They fight it very hard. But I know nothing they about it. They believe it, it is if a satanic like call run by the deep state. The subject, so, Robert Gibbs, I think that Savannah Guthrie confused the president by including in there that QAnon thinks of him as a savior, and uh, I think he was seduced by that. But, I have no uh, doubt that you, if you had a bubble box, you could see his, his answer beginning to change as soon as she entered that into the evidence. He was like, oh, savior, That's, that, that has a nice ring to it. Yeah, so, we're, you know, a big night last night, dueling town halls. We, we've got uh, the great Mark Salter with us, uh, the, off, the author of a great new book, The Luckiest Man. Mark was, uh, uh, well, everything to Senator John McCain. He was his collaborator. He was his friend. He was his staff, staffer. Uh, and now he's written a great book uh, about uh, Senator McCain and, and their journey together. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But Mark, uh, what did you make of these town halls last night? Uh, uh, it seemed like kind of the campaign in microcosm. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, sort of uh, did nothing, I think, to change the direction of the race. It's uh, order to address what the fundamental problem is for Trump, that Biden's appearances tend to contradict Trump's attacks on his fitness. And Trump's appearances seem to reaffirm questions about his fitness. And that was, uh, I actually thought, you know, but for the crazy town excursions to QAnon and SEAL Team 6 and the usual whining about how unfairly he's being treated, I, I, I actually thought Trump had dialed it back from 11 at the debates to about a 7 last night. But it's, you know, he never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity, as you, as you saw with the QAnon question. No, you're right. I mean, I, the, the one thing you would say is he was less uh, bombastic and less out of control than he was at the first debate, but he was pretty bombastic and out of control at that first debate. So he set the bar pretty low for himself, Robert. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, and I think, and we talked about this even when we thought the second full debate would be this town hall, that the, some behavior regulation had to kick in because you're taking questions from, uh, you know, from real normal voters. Uh, obviously, this started out a little bit more contentious with a Q&A with him and Savannah Guthrie. Yeah, she was tough, man. She was. I think, you know, look. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that in a critical way, no, but no, no. She, she, was, she was tenacious. But, but look, this is also, I mean, it's a byproduct. It's a, it's, it is the central byproduct of the fact that when Donald Trump gets away from the force field of Fox News, He's required to answer questions that he is never pressed on in that network, right? You can spend 55 minutes with Maria Barroma or three hours with Fox and Friends. 
You're never pressed on how much taxes you paid. You're never pressed on your last negative test uh, for COVID in a way that a, a normal reporter, quite frankly, is required to it's do. Just, that. They just have so many questions. They never be. They don't have time to get to everything. That's 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 what happens. I yeah, mean, you know. But I thought. Um, so I definitely thought he was he was dialed down in relation to, as you said, the the amped up performance of that debate. I was struck, and I know these aren't like, look, this isn't like a side-by-side of policy proposals, but pretty remarkable to be asked a question on what you would do on healthcare and how you'd fix the economy, and literally in neither of those two answers come up with one substantive policy idea for how to fix that, other than we're going to build back better uh, or build back stronger, and it's going to be a great economy, and our healthcare is going to be really well run, and it's going to well, be well. Not just that. I mean, for five years we've been hearing the healthcare answer: we're going to have a, a, a better healthcare plan. It's cheaper and protects everybody with pre-existing conditions. Okay, pal, five years, man. What you, where where is it, Mark? When uh, Senator McCain cast that uh, fateful vote uh, on healthcare. Uh, one of his objections was it was out of order. Uh, the other is, I mean, there really, there wasn't really a substantive replacement, was there? No, that was his main objection to it, that he had campaigned before on repeal and replace, and they were just repealing or repealing major portions of Obamacare. And, uh, you know, obviously for a guy who had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer, he was quite aware that he would, you know, have adequate health insurance to cover, you know, to provide him the finest medical treatment he could get. And uh, not everybody did. And it would have been, you know, uh, uh, shameful, I think he thought, for him to uh, take something away without replacing it with something. The president was not happy about that. No, no, he wasn't. Uh, and he was the last. The reason McCain was the last guy to vote was Trump was on the phone talking to him in the hallway, trying to uh, trying to convince him to uh not Were you standing there when that happened? Were you around? No, no. Believe it or not, I had left the office. I, I, I thought he was going to vote against it, but he hadn't firmly made up his mind, and he was going to be lobbied both by both sides about 20 more times before the day was over. I had gone home. My family was in Maine. I had gone back to our house in Alexandria and ate dinner, had a scotch, and fell asleep at about 9 o'clock. <laughs> I was awakened <laughs> by a call at 1, you know, from from his uh, his chief of staff to tell me what had happened. Yeah. And, uh, and then I saw I had a bunch of missed calls from him. So, no, I kind of I kind of uh, did what I usually did, was flake out at an important <laughs> So the, uh, the, the, the thing that the sensation I had watching Trump last night was, you know, that you, you, Gibbs, you're too young probably to remember, but Mark, you're a you probably do that Peggy Lee song. Is that all there is? Yeah, I remember it quite well. <laughs> is is that all all there is? Is that all there is, my friend? If yeah. that's all there is, let's just keep dancing. <laughs> uh, and that's what Trump did last night. But some of the crap was un. You know, you mentioned the SEAL Team Six. Let's listen to what he had to say uh, when Savannah Guthrie asked him about retweeting. Uh, some conspiracy theory that bin Laden's death was faked and that he's actually still alive. Just this week, you retweeted to your 87 million followers a conspiracy theory that Joe Biden orchestrated to have SEAL Team 6, the Navy SEAL Team 6, killed to cover up the, the fake death of bin Laden. Now, why would you send a lie like that to your followers? It. You Can retweeted it. That was a retweet. That was a, an opinion of somebody, but, and that was a retweet. I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. That. I don't the take president. a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle who no, can no, just retweet no, no. whatever. That was a retweet. 
and I do a lot of retweets. And frankly, because the media is so fake and so corrupt, if I didn't have social media, I don't call it Twitter, I call it social media, I wouldn't be able to get the word out. So, I mean, you know, it's incredible how much we take for, you know, the normalization of this is incredible. Step back for a second and think about what he said. But it's it, the, the problem is he is like somebody's crazy uncle. Who <laughs> 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 he is? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and he 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 sees no consequence uh, of throwing out the craziest uh, conspiracy theories and and so on. He he has he. It is as if the crazy social media right-wing extreme has seized the uh, organs of government. And he kind of reaffirmed that last night, Robert. Yeah, I was uh, the, the winner of the Internet, by the way, was Mary Trump, who 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 re- who just tweeted out actually dot dot dot, um, because, in fact, she is his uh, he, he is <laughs> yeah, her she, crazy. He is uncle. her crazy. Uh, yeah. He is her crazy so, uncle. Uh, you know, no, it's, it is astonishing that the that you have. The president of the United States of America with 87 million followers is suggesting on a national TV audience that all he's doing is putting something out there for people to make a decision about. I mean, it's just, it's a it's a stunning. I mean, we go through this and we're not really surprised anymore, except every day there is still something that kind of makes your jaw drop. And, you, you know, it, I mean, if you think of it, right. So let's get this straight. So this whole thing was concocted and bin Laden's in on this. I mean, what, what in the world? It, yeah. So he's just like in Pakistan and hiding, just being all cool to be part of the Obama conspiracy. I mean, just Jesus. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. As you guys said, the, the other, uh, town hall. It was like a study in contrast, and it was in fact a microcosm of the campaign. And Biden, by and large, he was very substantive. I thought he was relaxed. He was. Uh, uh, he seemed comfortable. Um, uh, he, the, you know, he. The one question he got that that continues to come up is on this court uh, packing issue. Uh, and he said he sort of made news on this. Let's let's uh, hear what he had to say there. But don't voters have a right to know where you they stand? They do have a right to know where they stand. They'll have a right to know where I stand before they vote. So you'll come out with a clear position before Election Day? Yes. So Biden has been uh, deflecting this and, you know, not all that artfully, honestly, I think, saying, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to create an issue. Apparently, he is going to talk about it now and he's going to say something uh, before the election. Um, uh, it, it kind of seems to me that this thing got blown up because of uh, him not answering the question in the first place uh, as artfully as he could. Um, it's, it's, it's an unspun evasion, <laughs> yeah. a candid evasion. Yeah. But I, I, I don't I, honestly, I don't understand why he just doesn't say, no, I'm not for it. You know, it's because like, I don't think he he will do it. And I don't know why he's taking the heat for it. I know you are um, dabbling in the non-Republican world here, having led the McCain staff or many of the McCain staffers in an endorsement of Biden. But so let me interpret this for you, my friend. There are a lot of people on the left who are very rabid about this. You know, rabid about this and they are rabid about getting Trump out of there. I think not. I think not. But they don't want the headwinds. And so he's been trying to navigate uh, around this, I think you're right that his instincts, and he said it last night, I'm not a fan uh, yeah. of court packing. His instincts are not there. He's an institutionalist. Uh, 
But I think that's what, isn't that it, Robert? Isn't that why he's been evasive? I, I think so. I mean, and I think he realizes that, as you said, that there's a there's a part of the base that he needs to get and keep excited that wants you know to solve the challenge of a six to three Supreme Court by adding more members. Um, I. I <laughs> And I'm with Mark. I think just pull the Band-Aid off one way or the other and give an answer. I don't I, I don't think you want to head into the last two and a half weeks of this sounding like an evasive politician uh, when your your opponent has a problem telling the truth. I'm not entirely sure the construct of how he set up last night was altogether that smart because he 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 gave enough of a wink, at least to both sides. I'm not for court packing, but I really want to see how this is handled. Well, we all know how this is going to be handled, right? The Senate Judiciary Committee is going to approve our nomination. It's going to go to the floor. It's going to get pretty quickly done. And before the election, we're going to have a new Supreme Court justice. So I don't know entirely. Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to fix much. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, to your point, I think he seemed relaxed. He seemed, um, he was substantive. I, I think he, he, he spoke to, the concerns of voters. He took some time to answer this question. And he actually spoke to voters. I mean, he right. actually likes interacting with people. He's good at interacting with people. And I think if you saw that, you know, I think what was struck, and I'm sure, you know, Mark, you you and McCain did more than your share of town hall meetings. But, you know, I was struck watching on Twitter last night how many of the reporters that were in the room with Biden noticed that Biden stayed 30, 45, 60 minutes, however long after the meeting or after the televised portion to answer questions for people that didn't get to answer their questions. So he took it as a serious exercise in <laughs> how do I reach some of those voters? And look, I agree. Not, I not think- only that, Robert, wait a second. Not only that, but let's just consider Trump's Biden is weak. He doesn't have stamina. He doesn't have the mental acuity. So Biden does a 90 minute town hall and stays for another half hour or hour after the town hall to answer questions and Trump does an hour on NBC. I mean, that's that's not Superman, man. No, and I think, you know, to 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 the point that that was made earlier. I mean, I I every time the Trump campaigns never really come up with a filter in which the elect they want the electorate to look at Biden that is actually stuck. Right? This guy, you know, they basically set the bar as this guy can barely complete a sentence. And anybody that spent any time watching quite frankly, any of the last couple of weeks, understand He's that's well. not who Joe Biden is. And, you know, it, so I don't think it, look, look I, it I is, agree. It I don't is, think it is legitimate. It was legitimate. It is legitimate on both their cases. They're both older. It is legitimate to raise these questions. I'm just saying Biden right. showed a lot of, he showed a lot of stamina last night. I, I want to just do one last thing, you guys from the town halls last night, because one of the things that was a real contrast to me was Biden was asked what it would say about the country uh, if he lost. And he, he his first initial answer was, I think it would say that I was a lousy candidate. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. would, and I thought that little f- bit of humility, uh, Mark, was that said that said volumes absolutely emblematic of the difference between the two men you know tr- trump is a compulsive boaster a horribly insecure human being and and biden is not you know he's a decent guy he's comfortable in his own skin you know and he you know and he, and he and i think he's aware of his own whatever his own deficiencies are he's and he's he, not afraid to cop to them but uh 
I thought, if anything, last night, you know, Biden was obviously very comfortable in that format. But, you know, I thought some of his answers might have been a little bit too specific and try to cram a little bit too much stuff into each response. But I thought he did a really good job of shoving back in this idea that, you know, that uh, Trump has been anything other than a disaster on the world stage. And, I, I uh, you know, I really, as I said, you know, at the top, I thought, you know, his appearance contradicted every Trump attack on his fitness for office. Well, and his and a disaster on the coronavirus. Uh, which is, you know, sadly kicking up again. And it looks like we're headed in, we're headed into a second wave and Trump is telling the country that it's disappearing. And last night that we're, you know, rounding the corner. It's one of these deals where we're rounding the corner and there's someone with a black, there's a virus with a blackjack waiting for us around the corner. And he does not acknowledge that. And that's one of the reasons that he's 10 points behind right now with 18 days to go there doesn't seem to be a lot of play in that. The Wall Street Journal NBC poll had him up 11, Biden up 11 yesterday, and virtually no one was undecided. Uh, A few said they were voting for someone else. And of the people who were decided, virtually no one said they were ready to change their minds. I mean, it really feels like this cake is baked, and now it's just a mobilization thing. I agree. It's it, it's the old the old McCain line. It's always dark as before. It's totally black. You know, at this time in '08, after Lehman Brothers collapsed, I don't know what your internal showed, but you know, uh, you know, our, our showed we were losing, and there wasn't much we could do to turn it around. But we were never losing by 11 points. No on average, you know, and uh, uh, I, you know, there's there's virtually nothing Trump can do. I don't think to turn this around. He he can't become somebody he's obviously incapable of being. But even if he could, I don't think that would turn it around. Some catastrophe has to befall Biden to change the direction of this race. And knock on wood, there won't be one. Okay, then let's take a break right here. And we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now. And it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. Zero. For as long as needed, the technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com 
and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Robert, you know, the last night, everybody was pointed last night as one more opportunity for Trump to change the narrative. And he just sort of enhanced the narrative. Well, because fundamentally he can't change who he is. I mean, yeah. I, I think I, I think this doesn't, as, as we have all said here, doesn't fundamentally alter the race. I think if you are a lean or loose Biden voter, I think these interactions are really important and, and they help move you to a place of being a firmer Biden voter. And I think that, you know, both those town hall meetings started with coronavirus questions and the depth of the former vice president's answer and the concern for, you know, wearing masks and and being socially distant and taking actions contrasted with this idea of, of, you know, Trump questioning the efficacy of wearing a mask, I, I think is sort of, that's kind of sums the whole thing up. And, the only way the only way Trump changes the trajectory of this election is to change fundamentally the view of him as president. And and quite frankly, um, uh, there there just aren't enough days left in his term to do that. There's another issue here, and that's money. Uh, Salter, did you could you ever? Um, well, I guess we outspent you guys pretty dramatically. <laughs> Come to think of it, oh yeah, maybe this is a sensitive point here. I yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry. I was going to wave you off of that. But even. But, <laughs> but I wish I'd been in the media consulting business rather than Well, no, no shit. Look, I'm looking at the spending for uh, this week and it's prodigious. But the eye popping thing was uh, Biden's numbers. I, I don't have the spending, the, the raising and spending, but he had like, what, four hundred and sixty two million dollars on hand at the end of last month. And you can see it in the spending. I'm looking at the. You know, Arizona, he's spending uh, he and a, a affiliated group spending about eight million dollars on the air. Trump, two point five, Florida, eight, eight point seven for uh, for for Biden and, and his groups, four, four point two for Trump. And then in some states in Michigan, Trump is uh, Biden is outspending Trump four to one uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, Biden is outspending Trump four to one. Um, I mean, I don't think that, as we point out, a lot of people have made up their minds, but this can't help. No, I live in Maine too. And the disparity here is stunning. You know, it's, 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 you know, I don't know what it is, but it's sometimes it's four, it's it's four to one there as well. It's four to one there. Hey, while we're on Maine, what's going on up there, uh, in that Senate race? You know, it, again, you know, there was a, uh, I think uh, until about the middle of the summer, early summer, there was a big disparity in uh, in advertising in that race too, where Gideon was on the air for a year before you saw many columns ads and maybe she wasn't moving numbers or something and they felt they could hold off. You know, it's, it's hard to tell. There hasn't been a, a lot of quality public polling up here. So I think it's, you know, she, Gideon has the advantage right now. Um, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't bet my house on an outcome one way or another. And I don't know who's going to win the presidential up here. Again, even less polling. You're about in that district. In that district. Not I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the first the, district of Maine will be a 30 point 
uh, right. Biden win. But uh, up here, you know, the only thing you got to go on are really stupidly what you're supposed to ignore yard signs and. Uh, um, <laughs> Um, and uh, if, I find if, myself doing that too. You know, my wife calls me every day to say if there's a new Biden or Trump sign in in our in, in our area up in uh, in Southwest Michigan. Well, I've got the lone Republican for Biden yard sign in my yard up here, but, uh, <laughs> and it's Republican singular because my wife no longer considers herself one. But, uh, <laughs> um, but if you're going by yard signs and you're going by size of yard signs. Trump's going to win the second district in a walk because, you know, it's, there's, you know, Trump fans. Yeah, they have do a good time. job on yard signs. And the yard signs are bigger than their house, you know, yeah. and their billboard size. Well, Trump would insist. <laughs> well, I was struck, too. I don't know if, if either of you have seen it this morning, but, um, you know, I, I don't know if this is much of a closing argument for um, for Donald Trump, but uh, he's got a tweet out today attacking uh, Susan Collins for uh, for for as he says a nasty rumor that she's going to vote uh, uh, against uh, his Supreme Court nominee and saying that she's just not worth the trouble. So, I, I, I mean, it's pretty stunning that 18 days before an election, a a sitting Republican president attacks an endangered sitting Republican senator as a way to. Uh, well, especially because uh, it's not a rumor. She said she was going to do. That. I know. Well, I was she say. said she would not support a nomination. And also, I, I, you know, I don't think that's, you know, I think that'll probably help him. Yeah, no, she should have paid him to do that. Yeah, I just think it's a remarkable thing to watch, you know, what's become of, you know, a bit of a circular firing squad. That isn't that why Republicans, uh, you know, Mark, you're right. This could help Collins in a race up there, uh, her 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 cleaving to Trump on Kavanaugh and on impeachment is what has dragged her down. And this is an opportunity to separate herself. But uh, in the main, isn't this exactly why Republicans have been quiet? Because he uh, it's he shoots down anybody who has the temerity to displease him. It is. You know, people are separating now. I, don't, I forget who described it. Oh, it's like animals before an earthquake. It's time to move to higher ground. You know, it, <laughs> See what's coming, you know, and you know, I look. I you know been around pol politics and politicians long enough not to get too worked up on guys being evasive or not, you know, trying to avoid trouble and not being forthright in what they believe. But uh, you know, there's going to be a fight coming after this election. Hopefully, a, a battle between sort of Trump light or Trump without the crazy tweets and then more a more conventional conservative reform message. And you know, I'm hoping you know. The guys are going to lead the fight, and you know, on, on the more conventional side, you know, are starting to make some noise and standing up. And we should talk about that. Two things happened yesterday that were seemed meaningful. One was uh, uh, Chris Christie, who was infected apparently while prepping the president for the first debate. Uh, you know, thinking about the first debate. That was not time well spent on the part of Chris Christie. You have to keep asking yourself, what is Christie getting out of this? As well? Yes, coronavirus apparently. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> but he, but he, but he did. He did issue a statement that seemed very pointed uh, in, in uh, about the fact that he had been wrong not to wear a mask and that he had been assured that it was a safe environment over at the White House and it wasn't a safe environment. And at a time when the president is trying to play down the virus, uh, it, that seemed like a repudiation. And then uh, Ben Sass, the governor, for, uh, the uh, senator from Nebraska, had a call with 17,000 constituents, which being a, a practicing politician, he probably understood was not a intimate conversation just between him and them. Uh, <laughs> and of course, someone recorded it 
the way he kisses dictators' butts. I mean, the way he um, ignores that the Uyghurs are in literal concentration camps in Xinjiang right now. He hasn't lifted a, a finger on behalf of the Hong Kongers. I mean, he and I have a very different foreign policy. It isn't just that he fails to lead our allies. It's that we, the United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. The way he treats women and spends like a, a drunken sailor, the ways I criticize President Obama for that kind of spending, I've criticized President Trump for as well. He mocks um, evangelicals behind closed doors. His, his family has treated the presidency like a business opportunity. He's flirted with white supremacists. My guess is that his uh, critique of Trump probably probably matches up uh, neat, neatly with yours, Salter. It does. Um, I couldn't have I couldn't have said it better myself. But you but could have said it earlier. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I did, but I'm not running for anything. You know, Ben Sass is, and uh, if he wants to uh, run for president and take up the cause of uh, a return to normalcy or more conventional Reagan-esque conservative reforms, I'm all for it. So, because uh, he'll have plenty of opposition, there'll be the Tom Cottons and the Josh Hawleys and the Ted Cruz's on the other side that try to, you know, like I said, run, run a brand of Trumpism without the crazy tweets and uh, erratic personal behavior. Do you think Sass is running? I assume he is. I don't know for a fact. I don't mm-hmm. Rob, Robert, what'd you make of that? He's criticized Trump at times, very cautiously. This was a full out back up the truck and unload everything. COVID cozying up to dictators, his, his treatment of women. I mean, it was really, it was a complete kind of, Take them. I was waiting for him to get to this poor dancing white man's over by dancing during the YMCA song. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was yeah. He did sort of back the truck up and 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 kind of dump all of it. I mean, look, I think it is it, maybe that's one of the first shots fired in this idea of where the party goes next, right? And 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 I have no doubt that if this is a landslide or a pretty big win that you're going to have a lot of revisionist history about what people thought was good and what people didn't think was good about a Trump presidency. And maybe what Sass is doing is trying to get ahead of that uh, by, by planting his flag on this idea of a different type of or a return to a more traditional conservatism. And I think that's going to be, an, you know, depending on the outcome of the election, I think is going to be an interesting um both electoral and intellectual uh, activity to watch because you, you know it, there's there's just a lot of what Trump has embodied and not just the personal stuff and the tweets but just policy in and of itself that I think is is very anathema to the type of conservative candidates David that you and I are used to running against or that Mark is used to running for listen or this for. is what Murphy lives for and by the way uh, Mark uh, Murphy had another engagement he he said to send his love he uh, he is a uh, huge fan from your collaborations yeah we, we had some fun yes you guys you veterans of the straight talk uh, express this is of course what he is hoping for and uh, what he keeps predicting i think it's going to be one hell of a battle within the republican party and it's going to last more than one cycle okay then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back you know another republican who uh, who has uh, departed uh, on this issue of Trump is Cindy McCain. Uh, 
And uh, let, let's take a listen to the ad that she did for Joe Biden. My husband knew Joe Biden a long time. They traveled thousands of miles together, visiting troops overseas, and they developed the kind of friendship you don't see too often. In the Senate, they disagreed on almost everything. They'd fight like hell on the floor, and then they'd go eat lunch together because they always put their friendship and their country first. Now more than ever, we need a president who will put service before self, a president who will lead with courage and compassion, not ego, a president who will respect the sacrifices made by our service members and their families, a president who will honor our fallen heroes, and a president who will bring out the best in us, not the worst. Joe Biden's dedicated his life to this country and working across the aisle to get things done. Joe will always fight for the American people, just like John did. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Obviously, she uh, hit a lot of the themes that the Biden campaign is really stressing now. And the fact that uh, uh, that they're running that ad, clearly helpful in the state of Arizona, but more broadly, uh, the message. Uh, is one of expansion while Trump is working base. Yeah, well, cu- country first. Uh, you know, the Bidens and the McCains were friends for a long time, so that's obviously a big element of that. But more importantly, I think she knows, Cindy knows, you know, the, the great damage Trump's doing to you know, America standing in the world and to one of John's core convictions. You know, he, he believed that the American experiment is a sacred project to prove, prove that self-government is the only moral government and every human being is entitled to it. Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about that, and uh, she knows that, and uh, and I think that's why she's waiting in such a such a big way. Doc, you know Arizona very well. Biden's been leading there from the beginning. I mean, it's not been a huge lead. I think he's averaging about a four point lead. Maricopa County, there, one big suburb, really, uh, where uh, and Trump is struggling in the suburbs. Large Hispanic vote. Um, what what is your what is your sense of the state and uh, well, he, he barely won it last time, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, three points, I think. He was on the ballot that year and won, won his reelection in a competitive general against a sitting member of Congress. Well, you know, I think 14 points was his margin of victory. And Trump was like three and a half. Mm-hmm. It was very slender margin for a Republican in Arizona. The state demographically, obviously, is trending away from Republicans, you know, out of, you know, in migration, um, you know, is, is, is making it more democratic. Uh, yeah, I I said almost two years ago I, I I expected Trump to lose Arizona, you know, in 2020, and I and I think he is going to lose it, and I think you, you I think uh, <clears throat> I haven't taken a position on the Senate race, but I think you know the quality of the candidates in that race, the Democrat is a superior candidate, and it shows, but it's also being driven, I think, by yeah, this. I like the way you don't take a position on a race. Well, in terms of- you know, we have a very sophisticated group of listeners here and they can discern as, as they, a candidate they, they can not, read that bubble box over your head there my friend as a candidate uh, <laughs> running a, a sharper campaign and it's got better retail skills that doesn't mean martha mcsally isn't a fine person or anything but uh you know the trump thing is driving a lot of that too you know is why he's so comfortably ahead of her and, yeah uh, well i mean she got jammed up we talked about this a while back here she got jammed up on a question in a debate about whether she was proud of her support for trump and she wouldn't answer the question which uh, you know that is a uh, that is the um, quintessential rock and hard place for her in that state yeah it's a uh, 
it's always awkward when a candidate wants to sound like they're being frank and candid, but are essentially evading the question, you know, and, and, and she was say not answering the question is actually answering the question. In that case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I think, I mean, for both of you, I mean, I, I think obviously the Cindy McCain ad is extraordinarily powerful. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I think what, what she represents uh, is, is exactly the type of, endorsement that a that a joe biden needs and i think this you know the i I love the idea too um you know these guys don't have to agree on everything but also don't have to hate each other if they disagree yeah well i think people are hungry for that if we can recover that yeah Uh, and i don't know if we can but but it it, the idea that you can have that debate on the floor and then go have lunch and because i mean look if if you fundamentally hate each other lunch anyway right if you fundamentally hate each other uh, and and disparage the reason why you believe something. It's extraordinarily hard to ever sit down at a table and come up with an idea that you can compromise or work yeah. together. Well, I mean, everybody knows that. Everybody, I think the majority of Americans believe that, except for the you know the hardcore bases of both parties. And I think if you poll, people are hungry for that. One of the you know you know my feeling about replica and remedy, and the, one of the things people are trying to repair from Trump is this kind of unrelenting 24-7 division. Uh, You know, uh, he does not see himself as president of the United States. He sees himself as president of his base. That was obvious even last night, you know, and um, and I think that's one of the strengths that Biden has. And it's telling, Mark, that people like you and Cindy and others are uh, endorsing Biden. But it also Again, you know, my, I'm just looking at these signs. If you're if you're outspending your opponent, uh, you know, you have the ability to outspend your opponent in all these battleground states and expand into uh, potential expansion states. You know, the Georgias and the Ohio's and and the Iowas and so on. Uh, and if you are garnering the endorsements of Republicans, uh, all of these are signs about where. Uh, where this race is. Let me ask you, and then I want to ask you about your book for a second. Uh, I want to ask both you guys. You know, we've we've spent a lot of time here talking about what deep what deep shit <laughs> Trump is in, honestly, uh, and how difficult it would be to turn this race uh, around. Uh, what what would you be doing in the last eighteen days if you were him at this point? Trump. Yeah. Um. Don't say packing. That's too no, no. <laughs> disappear. You know, or you know, a little less Trump, and you know, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's a non-starter, my yeah, friend. Well, I don't there you go. Gonna... There, it goes back to my original point. There's nothing that he's capable of doing that he can do to affect the direction of this. It has to be some unexpected catastrophe for Biden. Um, I, I don't. I don't. Trump can't be Trump. And, 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 and tighten this thing up. Well, he can tighten it up much, but he can't win this thing by continuing to be Trump. Look at, look at what he does. What's his, what, besides suburban women, what's his major problem? It's seniors. Yes. And the, the, the one thing that keeps reassuring me in Florida are his numbers with seniors. And, uh, you know, everything he does, the big rallies, the no mass, the attacks on Fauci, you know, the, the downplaying, we've turned the corner on, on COVID. Everything is just exacerbating this problem with seniors. He's incapable of, of change, you know, and, and, and coming up with some message or personifying some message that might, you know, soften his problem with, with seniors. So I don't know 
what I would tell them to do, except stop being you or, you know, you know <laughs> or, you know, have a, a quick relapse of COVID and you'll get back to us later. <laughs> yeah. You know, I honestly, if he had stayed down for a while and then emerged a, a, a humbled and enlightened person about the virus, he would have done better than, than what he did. But Robert, you know, I keep hearing from Republicans and I don't disagree with them. You look at the polling, the one thing, the one slight avenue message wise that he has is on the economy because people still think, you know, that he is the guy who can bring the economy back more readily than they think Biden is the guy who can bring the economy back. And, you know, Republicans, uh, you know, rational Republicans say, well, why isn't he just pounding that? And it is kind of a mystery why he didn't do that in the first debate, why he didn't do it in the town hall last night. I mean, he just he he seems lost. To Mark's point, I think he's incapable of being that disciplined candidate. I think he wants to be the funniest, cheekiest guy in the room. I think he approaches a rally as a reality show performance of entertainment and not of of a campaign or information. I mean, a normal campaign 18 days, 17 days, 16 days out would would be readying a symbolic closing argument, right? A, a, a recitation of, of why he should be reelected and why it's too risky to hire somebody new right now. But I agree with you that the, the natural advantage he has through the polling is on the economy. And you've got more and more people, despite this uptick in cases, the largest number since late July, more and more people see the economy as the number one issue. He, he, he's got a lane that he just has never chosen. Uh, yeah, but, well, and it's, it's, it's just way late to choose it. He's got one debate next week. It is. By that time, 40 million Americans will have voted already. Right. Uh, it, just, it just feels like the, uh, it feels like the die is cast. Well, and again, I was struck just he got asked the question last night in, in, in the town hall. And his answer was, it's just going to be better. It's going to be. Although better. he did, I will say, Mark. He, they, I don't know if you watched the end of the town hall with Trump, but he did summarize. Yeah. Uh, he that was probably the most coherent uh, thirty seconds. Yeah, it was. If that, if thirty seconds, it was yeah. closer to twenty, probably. But yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was a, it was a, it, it actually sounded plausible. It yeah. sounded like a, a reasonable message, and you think, wow, fifty nine minutes and thirty seconds of crazy. And then 30 seconds of, oh, yeah, this is what they reminded me I should say. Uh, and uh, therein lies the problem. Let me ask you about your book. Sure. Um, you know, one of the reasons that, I mean, I, we were opponents and Obama and McCain were opponents. But the scariest part of running against John McCain, and Robert will remember this, he was right in the middle of it, was... Uh, when he was on the country first message, because he really believed it, it was clear, it was it was consistent with who uh, he was. Uh, in in reading your wonderful book, and I hope everybody uh, reads it, um, you know, it almost, and I say this with sadness, it, it feels almost um, it, like it's bathed in sepia tones. Yeah, there's an antique feeling to, you know the way the country might have an idealized version of the way politics in the country would be but he's only been dead for a couple of years and he really he really was that way and i mean he he he, he had to cut corners here and there in politics like everybody else but he really did love this country 
and found uh, greater satisfaction in serving this country than in serving his own self-interest. And that, that, um, that's, uh, that's sorely lacking um, these days. You know, I wrote a book a few years ago called Believer, and it was about not, the, not a candidate, but about this notion of what America is uh, and what makes America exceptional. Uh, McCain uh, just uh, exuded that uh, and challenged America to leave a, live up to that ideal. Um, and, you know, I, I think, uh, you guys, but I think, I think Biden believes that too. And you could hear it in some of what he said last night. The question is in this age of social media, in this age of, uh, of, of, of siloed media habits of, um, you know, uh, uh, the you know, polarization and so on. Um, can we recover that? Can yeah. we recover it? I don't know. But going back to our previous conversation, except for the you know the fringes or the real hardcore activists in both parties, you know, whenever you the most common refrain you get from Americans, people, low information voters or high information voters, is you know why why can't they just take a time out and get something done for us, you know, and that, that really, you know, that, that's the, that's the product of, of the sort of McCain country first message, you know, and there's a yearning for it in the country. I don't know why, you know, politicians, more politicians aren't trying to appeal to it because it's there, you know, it's a, we get, because Twitter really is the province of the most outspoken, um, mm -hmm. you know, in both parties and the hottest takes and, and all that, you know, we, we have a tendency to think that's, that's the universe we live in, but it's not, you know, I have a nephew who's, I'd say a medium information voter or something. And they, somebody asked him his politics once and he said, I don't know, just fix it, you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that's, that's where most people are. And I think they respond to a guy that says, yeah, you know, I'm doing this because I want to make this country better. No, no, Mark, from your viewpoint, I mean, look, I don't think there'll ever be another John McCain because I, I think the combination of, of biography and work product was truly unique, but do you see somebody on the horizon or do you see a group on the horizon that that picks up this idea of let's just fix it? This idea that there's a larger experiment of America that that subsumes or that, that is that that is much greater than uh, the idea of, of personal gain or personal power. It's hard. It's hard to see it. Uh, it's hard to see it on my side for sure um, at the moment because Trump has thrown this pall over everything. And uh, um, but yeah, I think there are. And you know, part of McCain, you know, the, the part of McCain that sort of connected the voters first and foremost was he was unmistakably, undoubtedly authentic. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean he didn't you know didn't 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 compromise here and there but he was authentic he was himself people recognize that you know this guy whether i agree with him or not is you know telling me what he believes and he had the biography to back up you know the things he said but uh not everybody has that kind of biography um and not everybody has got the sort of comfort in himself that mccain had that allowed him to be that transparent, you know, that candid, that, that authentic in, in, in public. Um, hey, if you would was, want that biography, if, uh, you know, five years in the Hanoi Hilton, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's tough authentication, you know? <laughs> right, so, uh, but, but I, I will say you guys, you know what, there are, I think that this generation, uh, uh, the, the sort of nine 11 generation is producing 
some young leaders, uh, you know, in both parties who can e- emerge here. I, I, I just cannot extinguish my, uh, my, my, my fundamental optimism that the system can self-correct, even with all these uh, obstacles, and that there are people who will step forward. This whole young class uh, of of democratic, uh, uh, you know, representatives from the suburban areas that we saw, many of them from the national security right. realm, represent that. But hey, hey I think we got to hit the mailbag, guys. You'll appreciate Salter. That was uh, Murphy's inspiration right there. We we honor him in his uh, in his absence. Sometimes get Murphy to do his Wayne Newton imitation for you. <laughs> he hasn't offered that up. It's 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 hilarious. That clip we have to get in the. Uh, we got to put the pressure on him to do it. So Gibbs, as a son of the South, and and uh, you're proudly wearing your Atlanta Braves uh, cap uh, as we speak. Uh, uh, I want to ask you this question from Brian. How much of the tight races for Senate seats in the South, two of which are in Georgia, a referendum on Trump, or is it that Democrats are going to be competitive in the whole region again? I think it's a little of both. I think this election is more defined by Trump. But I, but I think the, the exact, what, what Trump is exacerbating with suburban voters and particularly suburban women is helping Democrats and is, is cementing, I think, the idea of, we talk about, the, the, the South has always talked about the new South. I, I think you're going to have a new blue South in, in certain parts uh, of the country after this election. Because I think if you look at places, the suburbs around Atlanta, the suburbs around Charleston, South Carolina, uh, the, the big urban areas and the suburbs around Houston, Dallas, uh, San Antonio in Texas are, are, are going to produce some really big margins. And I think there's a real chance coming out of this election that you're, you're not going to just have a North Carolina or a Florida in the, in the Biden column. But I think there's a decent chance that you could see Georgia. Whoa. You could see Georgia. I think it'd be very close, but I think you, you see a lot of early vote. Texas, I still think, is a little farther out. But again, I think you're seeing a lot of enthusiasm. So your answer um, is yes. You think that this is the cusp of... Yeah, there is the influx of uh, of uh, young professionals into these suburban areas combined yeah. with the emergence of uh, particularly black voters in, uh, in some of these states, but obviously in Texas, the Hispanic vote as well. I mean, uh, you're seeing that combination. I think the challenge that... that, that the, the thing that Democrats are benefiting from is if you look at in some of these really, really normally red states, places like a South Carolina, places like a Texas, you, you know, Trump's support is just not where certainly not where it was four years ago. But it's surprisingly not where you would think it would be. What is clear is that the Republican Party is going to have to adjust to that. And yep. uh, this goes to the discussion we we're having uh, earlier. Salter, uh, a guy named Tommy says there's so much attention given to debate prep before the first debate, or there was, uh, but I'm curious about how the prep differs before a final debate. Is there much new to prepare f- at this point? And I ask you this because you've been involved in the debate prep process, and uh, you were, you know, we all were. I mean, we, but back in 2008, when you got to the last debate, uh, did, was it markedly different than the first debate? 
I think we were a little more relaxed. Debates, debate prep was, I mean, I, I can't even watch a debate on, you know, between candidates in a race I don't even give a damn about anymore because I've just got, you know, PTSD from, you know, the, the only thing I hated more than debate prep were the debates themselves. I mean, you just sit there in a fetal curl the whole time, you know, knowing that one one bad mistake can, you know, oh, kill it's you. Awful. It's stomach churning. It, it just, I, 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 I just, when the race was over and we had lost, by a substantial margin, the first thing on my mouth was, at least I'll never have to be in another fucking debate prep session. <laughs> yeah. They're the worst. You're a little more relaxed after you go through you know, two of them. Um, you know, it's late. Uh, you pretty much know where, where the race is headed for sure by then, unless it's squeaky, squeaky tight, you know? And uh, so there's a little bit, I, you know, a feeling I think you don't have uh, as much to lose as you had in the first debate, you know? This last one on the, uh, in this campaign is closer to the election than any that I can remember since, uh, since Carter debated Reagan in, in, in 1980. And as mentioned, probably 40 million people will have voted by that debate, maybe what the Biden people will do is just have Biden um, recite his thoughts and have someone standing nearby heckling him throughout uh, just to get him tuned up for the next debate. I wonder, Robert, if if uh, if Trump will be a different Trump in that debate. I mean, only in the sense that will he be? <laughs> you will think he, this is will, finally will, the no, turn will, he'll no, make no, to no, be no, president I don't mean that, of the United I don't mean States? That. But different than the first debate, will he have gotten the message that? I mean, do I think a thousand people will line up in a room to tell him that? Yes. Do I think he will change his <laughs> but, but, behavior? But, uh, but no. probably socially distanced and with masks. Right. But I just, I don't, I mean, we talked about this. I, I think it will be hard for him because I just don't think he, I don't think he has it in him. I just don't think he can. And he may be freaking out himself. by then about where he is in the race 12 days out. You know, and and I don't know well. that he altogether thinks that when he looks back at that debate performance that he did all that poorly. I think he actually thinks he did well. That's the, the fundamental thing is when you're trying to get a politician to act differently, generally you show them something and then they realize that it didn't work. I don't think they're showing him anything that he thinks didn't work. I think he's probably like, isn't that great? And, I mean, and his great weakness is he can't he can't stand a criticism. He can't he can't leave it unaddressed. He can't brush it off and get back to his message. He's got to go nuts over it. And uh, I mean, David, you 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 talked a second ago about this distillation of his twenty second or thirty second theory at the end of that town hall last night. It came in a question where they said, "What would you do differently to improve in your second term?" And his answer was. I did great. And then he lists all these things. So it's like, you know, I, I always think it's interesting to, when you ask a politician, like, what are the mistakes you made? What are the, what are you going to enter into evidence that suggests you might've made a different decision or you're humble enough to reflect? David, this comes from Michael. The last few weeks have seen the reemergence of pistol Pete Buttigieg. Ooh. He's, I know he's, I don't know if that means a jump shot has emerged. Uh, <laughs> he's obviously an effective surrogate for both Biden and Harris, but what do you see this leading to a potential cabinet position in the Biden administration. His path to statewide office in Indiana seems to be narrow or non-existence. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, there was a piece, Ben Wallace Wells maybe, but there's a piece in The, uh, in the New Yorker um, uh, this, in the last couple of days about, uh, about Buttigieg and his, it, mostly his appearances on Fox because he's one of the few Democrats who goes on Fox and seems to do really, really well. 
interestingly, by invoking the language of, of values. Uh, listen, he's a, he's a great talent, and I've said this before. Uh, and what you look for, and Robert, you, we've seen candidates like this before. What you look for is a, a growth curve, and he just gets better and better. And, um, you know, he's been a, since the day that he dropped out and endorsed Biden, he's been a faithful uh, uh, surrogate and supporter for Biden. And he's a real talent. So I imagine that he will be rewarded with some position in the administration of uh, some position of prominence. I don't know uh, where it will be, uh, but I would be shocked if he were not a, a, a prominent player in the next administration. And I'd be shocked if he weren't a prominent player in American politics for decades to come. Yeah, I think he's deeply smart, deeply thoughtful, uh, very, very talented messenger. So I, 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 that's a recipe for something uh, of importance in, in, the, in a Biden administration. So let's, before Mark leaves, I have a last call and let's uh, tee that up. Last call. And here's the last call. You and I, Robert, both remember and Mark uh, I, I think has written about it. It is seared in his uh, experience. Uh, John McCain's concession speech uh, on the night uh, that uh, of the election in, in 2008. I just wanted to queue up a few lines that Mark, you undoubtedly wrote from that speech. Senator Obama and I have had and argued our differences, and he has prevailed. No doubt many of those differences remain. These are difficult times for our country, and I pledge to him tonight to do all in my power to help him lead us through the many challenges we face. I urge all Americans, I urge all Americans who supported me to join me in not just congratulating him, but offering our next president our goodwill and earnest effort to find ways to come together, to find the necessary compromises to bridge our differences and help restore our prosperity, defend our security in a dangerous world, and leave our children and grandchildren a stronger, better country than we inherited. I wanted to end there because uh, it is unlikely that we'll hear such a speech from the President of the United States if he loses. But my prayer for the country is that we are imbued with the spirit that John McCain, uh, that John McCain reflected that night. Uh, country badly needs it. And Mark, um, I, I want to thank you for the beautiful words that you wrote that I know reflected what he felt. And one of your strengths uh, through all those years of your collaboration was you perfectly channeled uh, John McCain and the idealism uh, that is, uh, to me, such a bedrock strength of this country. That's how a patriot accepts defeat in America. Yeah. Well, let's pray for patriotism and prepare for the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Salter, the luckiest man. Thank you so much. Good luck with the book. Come back often. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Gibbs, we'll have a lot to talk about in the next two weeks. And not just the Braves. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Bye. 